Welcome to Fueling the Revenue Engine. My name is Roz Greenfield, co-founder and chief enablement officer at Level 213. We're real excited to be entering our second season of the Fueling the Revenue Engine podcast. We're going to continue to look at the future of the enablement profession and connect with other go-to-market leaders for discussions that take a closer look at relevant enablement topics, providing insight, guidance, and support to the go-to-market enablement and sales leadership community. We hope you get a lot of value out of this. Thank you for joining us. Revenue enablement and revenue operations, which could also be referred to as sales enablement or sales operations and or sales ops, are parallel functions that work together to achieve the revenue and productivity goals of an organization. And in some cases, they operate as one combined organization. And I've been a part of organizations where the enablement was a part of operations. And there are times when they are completely separate operations. However, even when they are completely separate in organizations, the partnership, collaboration, and shared OKRs are the key to the success of the revenue organization. So today, we welcome our guest expert, Adrian Delbanta, who is the Director of Global Sales and Partner Operations at Contentful. And I love that the partner operations is in there too. I, you don't see that often, or I haven't seen that often. And obviously, there's a lot that goes on and the partnership uh, component of a SaaS uh, revenue generating organization. So that will be interesting to hear about. And what we're going to be talking about is really digging into the revenue operations charter and how enablement and operations can maximize effectiveness for a revenue organization. So welcome, Adrian. We're so happy to have you uh, and your time today. How are you this fine day? I am great. Thanks for inviting me. I'm super excited to be here. It's always great to talk to you especially yeah, about this awesome. subject that we could nerd out on all day. I was going to, I was just going to say, we've geeked <laughs> out on this subject more than I, we, I would like to admit. So right, now people least, don't need to know that. <laughs> people don't need to know that. So now at least there's a reason for it. I'd love to start off this conversation, just kind of hearing your de definition of revenue operations, why it's important, and maybe some examples of what are some of the key initiatives that you think about as far as revenue operations um, and what your team is usually charted with or focuses on. I am part of that group of people who've made the journey from sales operations into re revenue operations. When I started sales operations 20 mm. plus years ago, time warp, it was everything, including enable what we think of now mm. as enablement. And then those kind of split out. And then the concept of, of revenue operations sort of bloomed. And when I think about it, I think revenue operations really encompasses the whole holistic view of revenue and go to market instead of just sales. And so it's allowed folks in sales ops like me who were already having to think horizontally and cross-functionally better insight and a better platform and more avenues to be able to do that effectively. Mm. So you're thinking about not just the people selling the product, but also the people servicing the product and uh, supporting the product once they're a customer as well. And in your case, partners. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. yeah. We, I'm thinking about um, people that we, we think of as leads all the way to when people renew. And we have different go-to-market operations functions within that, but mm -hmm. we are all aligned to try to make that, that whole life cycle as successful as possible. It's okay. And I love that 
uh, the way you, you describe that, because I think one of the biggest changes over the last few years, and you talked about starting you know, years ago when it was sales operations, but I think what I'm hearing is we're not just focusing on the sales side, the people who are selling the product, who bringing the money in on the front of the house, but but it's what is that cost, the full customer journey, and yep. any way we interact, and how and and how do we operationalize all of that? Because that is really, especially in SaaS uh, or any as a service, there it's it's too easy for a buyer to shut or a customer to shut us off or to go to somebody else. And so if we don't have a clear operational function in or in how these connect and combine, and uh, I worked for a, a revenue leader once who used to say accidents happen at intersections and operations is there to clear those intersections. So I, yeah. I love that you're kind of looking over uh, over the the whole journey and, and, and the operationalization of the whole journey. Being that a lot of our audience probably doesn't have partner operations stuck in the middle of that too. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like or maybe some of the correlations between sure. partner operations and the rest of the operation functions that we've already discussed? Yep. Um, so when I started with Contentful uh, pushing four and a half years ago, our partnerships group with which we can like think of as channel partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it's solution and technology partnerships. It's yeah. kind of all, the all-encompassing word was actually part of the sales group. And our mutual friend, Taylor Gilbert, yeah. was overseeing that. And so pretty quickly after joining, Taylor said, hey, I need some help operationalizing this. So first I had to learn a lot about it because mm-hmm. it's not my background. That would be Taylor that would say, hey, I need help. help yeah, me. let's get a whiteboard. We're going to whiteboard yeah. this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so after we whiteboarded it, um, we realized that there's so much in terms of infrastructure and the pillars of sales operations that really apply. So mm. like, what are the field operations look like? What is data mm. governance? What is the strategic planning? So segmentation and headcount planning and overall uh, planning and comp and quotas and the tech stack, it all exists for our partnerships team as well. So there was really an opportunity for efficiency there. And as we've grown, instead of creating that team, setting up that team and then pushing it off as the partnership team grew out of sales into its own entity, we decided to keep keep that function within our group and allow for better collaboration, um, better scale, and so we have a great team now supporting who are just dedicated to our partnerships team, supporting them every day. That's awesome. Because then you can really think about, you know, we'll talk in a minute about some of the areas where operations really focuses, but you can make sure that those processes mm-hmm. transfer over to the partnerships as well, making it that seamless. And I love that you're doing that because in my experience, and Taylor has taught me this a lot as well, partnerships is really what makes it sticky in many cases, yeah. whether it's a solutions partner, an implementation partner, a technology partner. But a lot of times we forget about how do we coexist and or what are those processes and those handoffs and, and the buyer fails it and or they lose out or the organization lose out loses out. And so yeah. really having it in one center place like you have it where you're thinking about the operations overall for everything revenue, including partnerships, which is a key feeder of revenue and pipeline and business and, and stickiness mm-hmm. that, that you have it all combined. So I really love that. And I and I hope that we still we see that grow within other organizations as well, especially as more and more organizations kind of see the value of partnerships and also understand how to incorporate it in. I think mm-hmm. a lot of companies 
want a partnership function, think about a partnership function, but haven't really set, sat down and thought through how do we operationalize and how do we make it all work together? And I, I think you, you're obviously doing that, which, which I think is just going to benefit everybody. So I love that. Uh, so let's, you mentioned a little bit already when we talked about the partnerships, about thinking about what you're doing for the teams that you support. But I, I always like to think of the support roles, which, en which enablement and operations are from the perspective of the teams that we exist to support. So how do you think about the impact of operations on the go-to-market teams like AE, success, even the leadership teams, maybe any other roles, marketing or what have you, because you, you sit kind of as a liaison or a bridge between all yeah. these things. Why do they care? Why do, from their perspective, what, do you, what does operations bring to the table? I think operations is um, the meeting of strategic and tactical. And those, those phrases might actually be outdated now, but we really are the meeting of the, the idea and the how. Mm. And in order to create the how, we need to pretty effectively understand every point of impact, which means we have to understand what's happening across all the go-to-market organization and a bit of the other side of the house, the product and dev side of the house. Because when you're trying to build infrastructure and make it efficient and try to get to the sale or the renewal or the whatever it is, whatever that transaction is or client engagement is, as quickly as possible with as little noise as possible, you really need to understand, I think, every component. Mm. So we do act often along with our enablement partners as a hub. So if things are happening on the go-to-market side of the house, often there's someone from our team in that meeting to talk about the impact to either the systems or their finance discussions or working with our colleagues in the CX group and particularly like the professional services team. Mm. Like how do we set up things like rules of engagement and making sure that we don't have internal conflict about what we're trying to get done or how do we launch a new product? How do we set the systems up for that? And how do we create the structure so then our enablement partners can come in and get to the ability and get to the success about using that structure? Yeah, I love, I actually had an aha moment when you just said that where a lot of times there's a direction or like a strategic initiative without a thinking through of, but how will the fill in the blank frontline employee actually go about doing that right? right and you know and it could be even like and there there could be such key things in terms of i don't know getting the contract through the system right and if you don't get the contract through the system there is no sale and if there's no sale there's no revenue i'm thinking back to an experience that i had working at a company and we had this like overlay on salesforce that just i think it made sense from a man but for the person having to use, it was a nightmare. And again, that's great if you have it, but if it's not usable in the day-to-day, -day, nobody's going to do it. And no salesperson, and I'll probably say this for CSM or any other person in these roles, went into those roles because they want to fill out a process. No, that's not why. <laughs> right? like, oh, I want to fill in fields in Salesforce. Like, I'm excited about this. That's the last thing they want to do. And so really having your... your head in there saying, oh, okay, this is what we're trying to accomplish. How do we accomplish it? And maybe even should we <laughs> accomplish it, right? 
with that uh, point of view. And I don't know that I ever thought of that, especially when I was in the sales role that that was operations was doing for me. And I wish I would have, because I probably would have had more appreciation of what operations is doing. But that's a very interesting way of looking at that, right? And I think from a revenue leader's perspective as well, if we were trying to accomplish something, but we don't make it doable to be able to make it manageable, it may as well not even exist, right? As a, mm-hmm. an initiative, yeah. I think it's something key when when the folks who are, are come up with our next strategic goal, come up with them. And I really appreciate the idea of people because without them, we wouldn't yeah. have the stuff that we get to build the business around. Yeah. The sooner they bring in the how people, mm. I think the more chance for success. Mm. Because very often you come up with this great idea and then you finally get to somebody like me and they say, well, that's a great idea, but we have a way to do that. And sure, we can build a way to do that. And here's what it'll cost. And here's what's already in the budget. And here are the, you know, we might have to hire new people or whatever it is. And so the sooner you have those conversations, I, again, I think the more successful you can be. When do you think is the ideal time for the idea of people to bring in the operations people? And maybe we can give an example of a strategic initiative, if you could think of one. And when... When this, because I think you're making a very in, important point, right? Like again, if it's it, it could be this fantastic idea, but if it's if it's not realistic, it's not going to help anybody. But I don't know that the strategic thinkers always think about bringing operations in early, or maybe I'm. Some of them do. Mm, okay. So let's say you want to change your segmentation model, mm. which sounds very tactical, but really it's it's the output of a strategic change yes as soon as you have that idea as soon as that becomes a really work workable idea that's when to bring when you want to bring the how people in so you you want to change your hunter farmer to just a farmer model okay Mm -hmm. that's really changing an infrastructure plan yeah so do you have the right people in the roles Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, is your data set up to be able to do that? Are your systems set up to do that? What mm-hmm. about your comp plan? How are you going to look at quotas differently? And this mm-hmm. is all from a sales point of view. Yeah. But those are, but those are the kinds of lists we start to go through. Yeah. And it's not a matter of, should you, as right. the strategic leader, you still get to make that call. And if you say, we're going to do it, we do it. Right. But it's good to know what the uh, challenges are ahead or the projects are ahead that you're going to need to get through in order to implement that new strategic plan. Yeah, yeah, that's really key. As you're talking, I'm thinking about, there's a lot of companies today that are moving to a consumption-based products model Mm -hmm. versus a selling seats type of a model. But if you think about that, your deal sizes, they go down significantly because it's based on the consumption and you're selling it in buckets, for example, versus selling X number of seats or licenses. And I've seen this happen where nobody thought through how does this impact a salesperson achieving quota, right? And or being able to pay, live their life and pay their mortgage with much yeah. smaller deals. And it's a complete paradigm shift, yep. which takes a lot of, an, of operational focus. So again, I think through like, A, is that smart? Do we have the right salespeople for that? And how do we even compensate them on consumption? Right. 
because that's a lot more of an expansion DL versus a of a, a you know a, a front loader seat, and it has to reflect in how they get comp. So really good example. Absolutely, you really have to think about: Do we have the infrastructure to make those individuals successful? Because mm -hmm. you're trying to take these corporate level strategic ideas mm -hmm. and create some sort of infrastructure process set, whatever it is, down to the, down to what motivates an individual. Mm, mm, and if you mm -hmm. can't get that to meet, yeah. you're not going to hit the goals that you want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, also, it's you hard. That, that really is used to going after million dollar deals and you're racing it to go, it's a different sale out of like yep. a $30,000 deal, for example. Right. Yep. And, and you want probably a different person and doing that and or do you have a strategic arm and a, a more of a transactional quicker arm but again what are the operations for that so really really good things to think about you mentioned earlier already you alluded to operations and enablement kind of working together and we started off this conversation saying that it was a time when it was one function it was split up into two sometimes it's still part of the same organization so talk to us me a little bit about what that partnership where that partnership with enablement comes into play. Maybe some examples of that. I work very closely with Andrew Hazard, who is our mutual friend. He's a senior director of enablement at Contempo. And until fairly recently, we were separate teams and we have since combined under a, a oh. new VP of RevOps, okay. which has kind of allowed us to work even more closely together. And you guys were working together Really yeah, well side by side, that. literally yeah, sitting, yeah. sitting side what by side when we were out. I've seen of a great parallel team. So it's, I can, I'm happy to hear it's even better, but it's always been good. I think that the way I consider it is the operation side is building some kind of structure. So mm -hmm. either there's a plan, mm -hmm. probably a spreadsheet involved. There's mm -hmm. a plan, there's a headcount plan, or there's a systems budget or there's new segmentation and new quotas. There is a new comp plan. I keep going back to those because those are the, the most obvious. Or there's a new way we want SDRs to think about creating the top of the funnel. Mm. And then we work with enablement to say, this is how we think we're gonna create the structure. Can you create whatever supports that structure, whether it's training or tools enhancement or outreach or communication, because the enablement team tends to be really great at not just the first line communication, but a communication plan. Sure. Operations people, maybe it's just me, operations people tend to be very project oriented, like, oh, great, I'm gonna go build this thing. Build, 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 build. Okay, I'm going on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the communication part and the enablement part of that is often where we need the yeah. most help. Yeah, yeah. And it's where it actually, you know, we were talking earlier about it, you exist to make sure that we can operationalize things for the frontline employee, but this is where, this is how we let them even know about it and yeah. also support them through it. And while, yep. and I love that, I, I think your, your point of you're moving on to the next thing, it doesn't mean that the person who has to use this, this, let's say new tool, let's, let's use that as our example in the day-to-day -day feels comfortable in that new tool. So you implemented the right. new tool, got it already built into the system, connected to everything. And then enablement steps in and make sure that the teams know how to use it, are using it at the right time and place. And I guess if there's any issues coming back to yep. operations and, and fine tuning that, 
Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of an example where I had, we had rolled out a new like quote to cash system and that's always complex. And then mm -hmm. I, wish you could, uh, I can see you can see it and you're like, oh, that. And it was built just fine. And then we put together some sort of a recorded training for the sales team to go through, but it didn't hit the mark. But what, so what was happening was becoming an operations nightmare because when we, we came to the end of a quarter, when there was tons of deals coming through and everything was bottlenecked. And now the sales team is getting incredibly frustrated and our sales leaders are getting incredibly frustrated because we have the deals ready to go, but they can't, we can't recognize them. And everybody was like, the system doesn't work. And I'm like, well, it does. We just have to look at the training. And then it was a matter of me going back with operations and saying, okay, why is this feeling like such difficulty for the sales team? Where is the hole? Because let's just patch that hole before we throw out the whole quote to crash system. We need that, right? And it took a little bit of fine tuning together with operations to say, oh, okay, this is where the hole is. Let's update now the training on that, relaunch that. And then guess what? The deals got through the quote to crash without, without an issue. So it kind of reminded me of that kind of an example where that partnership and back and forth where operations thought it was done. We have it implemented, but then when it didn't work in the, in the moment and we didn't realize it wasn't working until the deals weren't coming through the way they should that we had to then put out that fire to, to get the quarter closed. Yeah, that feedback loop is actually vital. You were talking earlier about all the clicks you have to do in Salesforce as a seller. And no seller, mm -hmm. whoever by chance might listen to this will believe what I'm about to say is, we really actually try to make the user experience as easy as possible. Yeah. Never, not no. a chance. No, But it's true. Yeah, we Really only want you to fill out those fields that have some impact back into the business or to you as a seller. Yeah. So if you are sort of self-reporting on, I don't know, activities and we can tie that back to your sales process so you can get better at it, mm. that's the goal. Yeah. It's not because some evil ops person wants you to click all over the place. Yeah. Well, maybe sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> or operations, people think operationalized where again, salespeople are communicators, right? They become sales. Right. And, and I keep saying sales, customer success as well, right? They want to help the yeah. buyers and they don't want to be filling out tools and systems. Right. Yeah. To your point, it, it helps to make it so that they can do that part of their job better, right? More efficiently, easier, and maybe even from a customer's perspective, make it better. Absolutely. Not, I should rephrase that. And from a customer's perspective, right? Because I think we succeed the most as, as a revenue generating organization when we think about it from the perspective of the customer, right? Because that's why we right. exist. And if not, who cares? Right? right. And so I think, you know, you make a good point that no salesperson or success person would believe you. How do we get, do we have to get them to believe us? And or how do we? Does it matter even? I don't know. Sure. I think folks in operations, sales operations, revenue operations, a lot of us started out as salespeople. Mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wasn't that great at it, but that's how I started. Yeah. And we're also in a support role. And I think typically people in support roles are doing it because they're trying to solve a problem and they're trying to help people. Yeah. So sure. I, I actually really care how it impacts someone's day-to-day -day existence. Yeah. And... Also, I, we have to build things that support the company's goals and how to get there. Mm -hmm. And so that's the work part of work. Sorry. Yeah. And I think even to your point, 
even sharing, like I was a salesperson. I had to fill out fields in a, in a CRM. I had to do these things. I understand what you're trying to accomplish and I'm putting on that lens. I think that gives a certain level of credibility and it's not just mm -hmm. like, oh, this rigid operations person that loves spreadsheets and buttons is making me do all these things. It's, I understand your process and I think that goes a really long way or I've been in your shoes and I think that that, that, that goes a really long way because I don't think they think about that. It's funny because I, when I was at Optimizely, I was supporting a lot of people in their first jobs, right? And they were new. And so they had nothing to compare it to and nothing to know what, and I would say the operations team was similar, but we were a little bit more experienced in life and they were new. And so everything we were doing was, why do I have to do this? Or why do I have to do this training? Or why do I have to fill out these fields or what have you? And it's interesting now, five or six years later, these people have moved on. A lot of them have moved into leadership roles and they're seeing either, a, they're in companies that either don't have a, an established operations and or enabling function and or they're seeing things a little bit from a different point of view and they're pinging me going i'm sorry that i gave you such a hard time or i can now i get it or now i understand and and it's funny how it's like mm -hmm. like and recently i had a conversation with somebody who's now a chief of staff and he reached out to me before sko season he was asking me for some tips and i was giving him some things he's like that's why you did that. He's like, I hated it, but I completely get it. And I'm going to do the exact same thing. And I'm like, yeah, there was a method to the madness. And we knew you didn't like it in the moment, right. but here's why. And guess what? You're going to go do the exact same thing. And it was just a fun validating. I just watched his eyes go, oh, right. And so I think the more we can maybe even give them the, the a little insight into the thought process. Yeah, absolutely. Right? that might get them to come along with us because again, it's all existing for them. So that's, that's a really good. Uh, when point. we launch new stuff and we're on our game about it, mm. and sometimes frankly, we're not, we could do better at this, mm. but when we're on our game, we present it with, with the whys. This is why this change is happening, or this is why this new thing is happening. This is how it affects you. This is your part in it. This is what you get from it. This is what your leadership gets from it. This is what other departments get from it because mm. We're not, we're not in a bubble. Even in RevOps, we're not a bubble. We have these tools, a lot of these tools come back into the company to report on what's going on. So other parts of the company can make better informed decisions. Yeah. 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 And we're, we're in this to build a successful company. Yeah. I hope. Right. So you mentioned something just before where you said, you know, we're on our, when we're on our game, sometimes we're not. Um, and I can, I mean, as you were saying that, I was thinking, well, there's so many things that fall under the operations bucket. And you've mentioned several of them already, and we haven't mentioned all of them. And I don't know that we even could. So are there things, how do you prioritize? How does an operations team think through the prioritization and or the things that will always outweigh something else? And maybe what are some of the, you know, we talk comp, we talk segmentation, we talk tools, but what are some of how do you, yeah, how do you prioritize and, and is it, are there certain things that will always outweigh others? Absolutely. The first thing is, um, are you trying to help somebody close a deal? Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Top of mind. Yeah. Any request you get where someone can't click that submit button mm -hmm. that we all have to click, somebody's jumping in there. Yeah. That's like a fire. And then, absolutely. Yeah. That's what keeps us all employed. So we, we try to be fairly pragmatic about it. What, what keeps the lights on that comes first. And then after that, we try to work on 
making sure the folks on our team understand where they're fitting. And that's evolved over the years significantly. You've, you've gotten to see a lot of the, a lot of the changes, but we have um, field operation business partners. So for instance, um, we have a senior manager of operations in EMEA who's really lined up with the EMEA sales leadership, also in North America. We already talked about partner operations. Um, we have a systems team who is responsible for the sales and partnerships tech stack, not Salesforce, although we're probably the largest consumer and have a lot of impact, but our own tech stack, we run it. We also have a planning and governance team. So those folks do all of our internal analytics, all the KPI reporting, all of the um, strategic sales planning, along with in, in partnership with finance. We work really closely with our colleagues in marketing and in marketing ops, we have constant back and flow. We have one person on our team right now who's absolutely dedicated to our sales development team. That's all he works on all the time. And we have a lot of communication back and forth with our CX team. So that's part of it. The other part is as a team, we talk a lot about what our team values are. And one of those values is purpose. Like, how are you spending your work hours of the day? And how are you deciding to prioritize? So have you done things like documented your, go your goals? And are they aligned with the larger goals? Have we talked about them? Where you are about them? And if it doesn't have some, something to do with getting a deal through or one of your goals, should you be doing it? You yeah. have to be able to ask yourself that question because I know your default is to help people. Yeah. But you will burn out. So all these support roles, they burn out, burn out, burn out. Mm -hmm. And we don't want them to do that. We have hired some great people. Some of the greatest colleagues I've ever had happen, happen to be on this team in Contemple. They are dedicated and smart and purposeful and resilient. It's a hard gig and they get up every day and do it mm -hmm. and they do it well. And so for us, I think one of the keys is a lot of internal communication. And then we have a good leader um, who helps us prioritize, who reminds the team to prioritize. And that leaves us room for when priorities change and they do. You have to be agile. You have to be able to say on a dime, okay, I'm changing these priorities. Mm -hmm. That's how it goes. Yeah. This is a startup and things change quickly. So you describe, and, and it's interesting you say that, you know, I've seen the evolution because I think I met you when you were a one, maybe two person operation, something like, that. something like that. And now obviously you just described a pretty large team. How does somebody, when they are just a one person operation or one or two person operation, how do they do all that? Or what is the, what are your, what are some of your tips to that situation? You got to win or learn. Mm -hmm. You have to prioritize every day. That's that. I love the way you, that you brought that. up. I learn. I love. That. I stole that from somebody else. I'm gonna steal, steal it. I'm it. We're gonna. Yeah, that's really smart. Win or learn. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. We're gonna win or learn. Have a have a great relationship with whoever your leader is. Mm. Um, mine at the time. You know, we would talk a lot about what the priorities were and what what I thought I could get done, and together really set those and keep going back to those and go back to those, except what you're trying to do your best and accept your best is going to be different every day. Mm. 
-hmm. and then try to get headcount really quickly and shore up the things you're not great at. We have to do, as you mentioned, there's so much we do. There's this horizontal list of responsibilities that not one person can ever be equally great at. Mm -hmm. So figure out what you're not good at fast and hire there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And keep making, make sure that you're making the case for why you need the hires that in order to scale, you have to become more efficient. In order to become more efficient, you have to build out the efficiencies. Yeah. What is the ratio of go-to-market revenue employees to operations? And is there a ratio? Or is it more figure out where your hole is and, and fill it? For sure, there's a ratio. We're responsible for the budgeting and headcount planning. So I look at that ratio all the time. Yeah. I think best practice, I'm going to come back to that because that's qualified best practice is probably 25 or 30 to one. Mm -hmm. However, the caveat is you have to clearly define what the priority set is. Mm -hmm. So that 25 or 30 to one, that exists under the typical pillars yeah. of yeah. RevOps. So when yeah. you start to add in more things, you're going to add in more people. Yeah. And when you don't hire quickly, you're going to have to end up hiring more people because you have to catch up to because up. there are just things. If you have a two person shop and a 80 person team, yeah, those people have been, there's a long list of things they haven't gotten to that they wanted to. Yeah. And when you have inherited systems like legacy systems that every startup has, yeah, you're also going to be behind, behind. Yeah. The, yeah. And you're either then making those systems work and or up updating them, which is always intertwined with other things. So, that's, uh, so even just having a focus on that. And I think a one to, to 25, 35 is similar to enablement uh, ratio before everybody went remote, right? And then, right. you know, what I tell people, well, if you're a remote organization and many will still remain and a lot are hybrid right now, which is a whole nother avenue um, um, animal to think about both from an enablement and operations perspective, um, you have as many people as you have people in their homes. That's how many offices you have. And yeah. if you have that many offices, you have to think about how are we enabling somebody who's sitting alone in their own house and their system goes down or they have a question or what have you. Mm -hmm. So I think that that ratio now goes down, but we'll see what happens as who knows, right? World tries to come back together. So let's go back to our, you know, our partnership with enablement, because I think anybody in enablement listening to this, whether they, if they don't sit uh, that close to the operations is seeing their partnership. And we talked about, let's say, an example of rolling out a tools and working with the operations team to make, I'm sorry, the enablement team to make sure that it rolls out well. Do you have any examples of times when an operations initiative would have been more successful with enablement support and what that might have looked like? Sure. In the end of 2020, that very interesting year, mm. sometime after the murder hornets. Mm -hmm. um, we implemented a new scoring model, which then required us to implement a new account segmentation plan, which means that you're looking at territories different, you're looking at quotas differently, you're looking at everything differently from that go-to-market sales perspective. And we did not, we, we spent so much time trying to figure out how to build it. We did not give enough time to how it could be received, like the rollout of it and the reception mm -hmm. of it and the follow-up on it. Mm -hmm. It's not that we didn't, but I think if we had brought that team in a lot earlier so they could also understand. The enablement team. 
yeah, the enablement yeah. team in early so they could understand the innards. Like this is mm -hmm. what this number means. Mm -hmm. I think we would have had a more effective rollout. Mm -hmm. 2020 was a hard year and a lot changed really, really quickly. I forgot about the mortar hornets. <laughs> so much That's my go-to. And it's only been a year and a half or whatever. But yeah, it was a hard year and things were moving so quickly and so fast. And many of us were, were off our game, not to mention what was probably going on in most of our personal lives because of you know the global pandemic and the mortar hornets and all the other things. So yeah, I think you know, and I, your your perspective of if the enablement team doesn't really understand what they're enabling and why they're enabling, they're going to have a much harder time enabling it. And and I, I always think of enablement as sometimes the face of operations or the face of marketing or the face of, because we're the team that stands up in front of the organization, whether it's on a Zoom or it's in a recording or it's in a live session, and we're giving over the information. And, and if we don't understand it or have the, the full picture of what's trying to happen and how it's going to work and why it's going to work and all the implications. And you know, to your point earlier, you were talking about bringing in operations early enough with strategic. I think enablement should be in that room too, right? Because Absolutely. they can say, okay, and then, okay, if this is the how, then how do we get the how to work, right? Or yep. how do we communicate that how? So I think, yeah, that, that's a really good point. And it's harder. And I think another thing that happened in you know 2020 was we were used to, a lot of us were used to sitting in the same room as somebody, physical space, and all of a sudden now we're not, right? And uh, that added to that complications. And what that taught me is we might not be facing that exact, ch exact challenge, but we're always going to face something, right? And so how to we kind of work together. So really good example. What have you found to be the secret to a good partnership? You know, we mentioned you and Andrew at Contentful have a really good partnership and the, and the, your, your larger teams. What makes a good enablement operations partnership? I'm thinking because I'm trying to figure out what what's happening between our two teams at Contentful that makes it successful. I think the key is mutual respect. A and desire to collaborate. What each one, yeah, each other absolutely. Doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a shared goal. We're there to be successful. Mm -hmm. We're not there to do something mediocre. Mm -hmm. So how can we help each other do that? We also talk a lot. We share our plans all the time. In fact, literally, sometimes we share the formats of our slides. Oh, I like how you did that. Oh, can okay. I can I steal that and borrow that for the team? And Andrew's as a as a human is just a great person and he's a great partner. And his whole team, many of whom you know, Marty, I think you know Annie, yeah. all those folks, they're great to work with. And I think it's because they also have their own team values, which are really like very similar and compatible to ours. The other thing I'm thinking as you're talking, Andrew also was a sales leader. Mm -hmm. so he sees the, he understands how important operations is to enablement because he's seeing that full picture. Marty was a sales leader and not that you should come out of this conversation think every single person in enablement operations has to have been a sales leader or a salesperson. Although I think you should have been in a customer facing role of some sort. But that is a very unique thing that you all bring to the table is that you have, everybody has needed operations from a different perspective and now understands it and has needed enablement from a different perspective and has understood it. So that, that's really interesting. And I think if you haven't had it, if you don't have that experience, spend a lot of time with the, the, the frontline customer facing humans and seeing the world from their eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I remember when I was selling... Uh, 
customer experience software, contact center software. I had never worked in the contact center. I literally sat in front of an agent. I said, why did you just pick up the stapler? Not questioning her, but trying to understand what are you, what, why did you need that stapler? Why is that important to your day? Right. And every, like, and I use that as an example, because it was such a minute thing, but what I was trying to understand is what is a day in the life of this person like, and how can our software help them to be more efficient? And if she doesn't have to staple a physical paper, well, then maybe she doesn't need a stapler, right? Because that took a minute and a half or whatever for somebody that is judged on the amount of calls she, or tickets she gets through in a day or whatever. So I think that that was an example of, I didn't, had never been in the contact center, but I sat through two or three days of just being in the role, listening in on calls and just trying to understand their lives. And I think if you haven't been Adrian or Andrew or Marty, these, some, these names that we've mentioned in these kind of roles and spend some time there, right? If you're in operations or enablement and listen. So um, really good. It thoughts. also helps. Mm. We have uh, a, an SVP of sales who I think funnel, fundamentally respects mm enablement and operations. He brought me in. I think he'd been there five months Mm -hmm. and he brought me in and Andrew wasn't that long after. Yeah. And And not you as partners. Yeah. 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 That's true. I think so. And now with Jake um, Hoffwigan, who's our new VP of, of RevOps, he is side by side with Mm -hmm. the SVP of sales and funneling that, that back to us. And we're I think that makes a big difference and not every sales leader is like that. Yeah. So when I have been at that moment in time where I've been in some kind of job search, I ask, what are you looking for? If you're looking for a partner, great. If you're looking for someone to run your numbers, which is perfectly fine, that's not, that's just not how I do it. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because a lot of times, you know, you mentioned you were pointing to an SVP of sales. It's not now, now you have a, another operations person in the middle, but for a very long time, you were directly into the sales. Salesperson probably never did operations. Enablement faces this a lot too. We report into SVP of sales or whatever, or even someone in, in operations or marketing who has never done our job. So, how do you, what, how do you, if you don't have that, if you're not fortunate enough to work for, any or whoever, how do you develop that relationship and or taking it from their perspective? Because we have a lot of revenue leaders that listen to this podcast. What should they be thinking about to develop that relationship with the operations enablement function? If we accept that people in enablement and operations are there to help you with the how, Mm. they're your ally. Yeah. So if I have to go into a meeting and say, no, we can't do that, it's not because I don't think it's a good idea. That's not the point of what enablement or operations does. If we're having a discussion about, hey, what do you think of this idea? Sure. Yeah. But when we get to the point of execution, we're trying to figure out how to get it done. We're trying to help you make, be successful. Hmm. And if that is the, yep, if that's your assumption, of this person that you've hired, I think you're going to be more successful. Mm -hmm. If you've hired a subject matter expert because you're not one, Mm -hmm. it would be a mistake not to listen to that person. Mm -hmm. It's a a really important point because we do that a lot. We do. Yeah. I'm going to ask you your opinion and then discount it. Then why don't you ask? I hired you for your experience, but I'm not going to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there are certainly points where, for instance, Eddie would say, hey, 
I want us to do this thing. And I'll say, okay, this is, this is how close I think we can get. What would it take to get to this other thing? Mm. I need this and this and this. Well, you can only have this and this. All right. Mm-hmm. And then there are other times when there is a, there's a direction from the board. There's a direction from the CEO. Yeah. And this yeah. is, this is work. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it is what it is. And you just have to figure out how to make it happen as well as possible. I'm also, I, I think, clear or at least try to be clear about, I need a little grace for mistakes. So if you're working for someone who has an intolerance of close but not quite, or this is a V1, it's hard to do this job. Win or learn. Especially in a startup. Right, win or learn. Yeah. So we learn this and this is what we're gonna yeah. do in the next iteration. Yeah, yeah. You gotta have some perspective about what you're doing. I think it's important to, to, to understand from your leader what their tolerance is and then come into it with a plan. Here's the solution. Here's how it's phased out. Yeah. Always come with the solution if you can. Yeah, yeah. I like phrasing things as let's do an experiment because <laughs> yeah. we're going to test this. We're going to test it or we'll do a pilot. Let's pilot it and get feedback. And I think that forced us. We've all seen a tremendous amount of change in the last few years. We were already talking about, you know, we already mentioned, you know, 2020, which will go down in to me. So obviously operations has, has seen a lot of change too. And obviously experimentation in those times becomes really important because I don't know, we haven't, there was no playbook for a global pandemic in our lifetimes anyway. So what have you seen as the change in the past few years? And maybe what is the impact of some of those changes? And or which ones are gonna last and be make us better or have to go back to real life? And I just asked you five questions. But. Okay, Whew. all right. Let me see if I can take them in order. Well. When I look back at 2020, I am very thankful Mm. that I live in a community that worked hard to be safe. I'm thankful that I'm in in an industry that grew and I recognize the privilege of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried to, I hope, be one of the people who brought that into the everyday. Yeah. Mm. So from an everyday, and then I'll talk about the business stuff in a second, but from an everyday sort of management point of view, it definitely changed some of my management and leadership goals and practices. I think I became a less compartmentalized and more holistic leader. Like we have lives. At the beginning of the, I'm a a mom. And at the beginning of the pandemic, if my kid walked in the office, by the way, I had office space, so I'm extra lucky. But if he walked in the office, I would say, oh, no, no, wait, can you go? Yeah. That went by, that went out of the door pretty quickly. Yeah. So like we all are just trying to get through and your kid walking into a meeting or your dog or Muni going by or the cable car or whatever, that's just the day you're dealing with. You might've heard in this recording because we're still, we're still in an area that does a lot remote. Yeah. Yeah. And when I started to do that, it also gives permission to anybody I'm with to Mm -hmm. also just show up as a person, just do your best. Yeah. And sometimes your best stinks and you probably need to take a day. Yeah, yeah. So that changed for me as a, as a manager. I hope folks on my team would agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, if they control um, the whole person, right there, you're going to get better 
performance yeah. to start with. I think so. I think yeah. so. And then business-wise, for 20 years, we've been talking about become more data-driven, become more data-driven. So I think everybody's going to always talk about become, make yeah. more data-driven decisions. But for us, I think it's more, it's looking at more what, what's the buyer experience? How is that changing? Is, is traditional enterprise sales morphing into something different? We talk a lot about product-led growth and the flywheel, a number of successful companies that we have all seen do that. Yeah. We talk more about human-assisted versus mm. product-assisted up to the point that we want to engage with the human. And does that become more efficient? Is that better for the customer? Is that better for the folks on our team? Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of revenue operations, again, looking holistically, there was a time that I never would have ever discussed a renewal. Mm. I just don't get them. I don't understand. But we have a recurring model. So mm. not only do not we not want churn, but we're looking at a recurring model. That's part of revenue operations. We need to be talking about that and thinking about that and planning for it. Yeah. Also the top of the funnel. I have much more insight into the top of the funnel now than I did five or 10 years ago. Yeah, by top of the funnel, you mean like the marketing end of it or like an SDR? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. The, the marketing end of it into the SDR, what's yeah. happening there. Yeah. And what data, for, particularly for my team, for the analytics folks on our team, what data can we provide that help mm -hmm. make improved informed choices yeah. up there yeah. all the way into how can we provide this information to the CX group? So they can make better choices. Yeah. Yeah. How do you I think, think more broadly now? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think is going to be the evolution or, or where do we see it going through, through all this change or now that we're coming out on the other side of. Uh, well, for me, retirement. <laughs> I think 2020 and 2021 made us all want to do that five years earlier. Yeah, right. I started 2020 at 25. Now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I'm um, 70. <laughs> where is RevOps going? I actually don't know. Mm -hmm. And the reason I don't know is because I've spent a lot of the last few years very head down in the weeds, getting it done every day. Mm -hmm. And one of the changes of the last couple of years is looking up. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably true for a lot of folks yeah. in sales and enablement saying, wait a minute, wait. Yeah. It, you aren't most effective when you're buried. Yeah, yeah. And we had to bury in the last few yeah. years, right? Yeah, we did. We had to survive. It was, yeah, keep the head above water. Yeah, okay. So I think that we um, move less and less away from siloed operations mm. and more into sort of holistic go-to-market operations because it's understanding that whole life cycle and how do you become most efficient through that life cycle yeah we come back to the customer journey right because yeah. we all exist right if there's no customer there's no business if there's no business you don't need any of us or or and, and or we're not providing the service that that we exist to to provide so yeah i think i think what i what i took away from this from this uh conversation with two main things one is the, the the how to the what and being part of that strategic conversation and not just the tactical part of it because the only way any of the strategy could happen is with how can we realistically operationalize it and maybe do it in steps and two 
being able to see the forest from the trees, but know when to focus on the trees and know when to focus on the forest. And then yeah. ultimately then how does it then partner with the enablement arm, the marketing arm, the partnership arm, the leader arm, all the different arms and sometimes being in the moment and sometimes being, you know, I think from an operations perspective from this conversation too, kind of want operations looking at the entire forest because as the AE, I'm, I'm right, I am in this very, very tiny tree deal or very, mm -hmm. very huge tree deal, but it's one tree out of, you know, a tremendous forest. And so having that strategic thought through of if this is a strategy and this is our North Star, this is where we're going, this is the realistic of how we're going to get there. And then how do we partner with enablement and, and sales leadership and revenue leadership to actually make it happen? Well, that's about it. You want to come do RevOps? It could come come <laughs> I'll stick with enablement, but I will be your partner. <laughs> okay. I definitely re recognize the importance of that partnership. I'd rather you make the spreadsheet though. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, I really, really appreciated this conversation. It was really insightful. I learned a lot of stuff. I'm also going to steal the learner, win or learn. That's a really good way to put it. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for sharing everything you just shared. It's incredibly important. And I think the more we can reinforce that partnership between enablement and operations, everybody wins. So thank you, Adrian. Really appreciate it. It's always nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And thanks for letting me nerd out on this stuff. As we close out this episode today, we would like to thank purpleplanet.com for our music production. And we thank you for listening. We encourage you to get in touch with us with requests for future topics, any questions you might have, or just to say hello. We can be found at www.level213.com. That's L-E-V-L and then the numbers 213.com or through LinkedIn. Have a great day.